Welcome, everybody, to the Momentous Wealth Podcast, where we discuss current issues in the world of finance and break them down into understandable terms to further your education. Momentous Wealth Management is a financial planning and investment management firm based in Washington. We've been serving clients for more than 20 years, and on this show, we take that experience and put it to the microphone in an effort to educate investors in the complex world of finance and financial markets. Hey, everyone. Welcome back. Today, it's your host, Nick and Todd, and we've got a special guest with us, Jeff Walters with Heinz. Uh, Jeff, thanks for joining us today. Good morning, boys. How are you doing today? Great. Doing great. Happy to have you. Uh, listeners, just for a little bit of background on Jeff, he's the Senior Regional Director for Heinz Real Estate, and they're the largest privately owned real estate investment firm in the known universe. <laughs> so <laughs> we were joking about that beforehand. But yeah, they're the largest real estate uh, trust company uh, in the world. So we're really happy to have you, Jeff. And yeah, thanks for Coming on, Todd, do you want to kind of talk? Yeah, about- we're we're going to be talking about the real estate market today, and I'm excited about this topic because as we as we meet with clients and we talk about their portfolios, typically real estate is an, an area that's always of interest. Uh, a lot of our clients obviously own homes, uh, but for whatever reason, I, I find that you know people are just really they're always kind of fascinated by real estate and what it's doing and and the state of the market and. I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that real estate's an asset that you can kind of touch and feel. And, you know, it's maybe a little bit more emotional sometimes than some mutual fund that you have in your account. So, yeah. Um, so known Jeff for a long time and we're really excited about having him on today. Cause like you said, he's uh, he's been in this world. How long have you been with Heinz, Jeff? It's been quite a while now, right? Been about 12 years with Heinz, been in the securities investment industry for 23 years. I've probably known you for a good 20 of that, Todd, I'm guessing. Yeah. Yeah. Back at the brokerage firm that I used to work with when I think you were working for Hartford at the time. I was. Yeah. Memory. Yeah. So, um, Jeff, what, you know, and, and one of the things I want to talk to you about, because I think your position at Heinz is really interesting. Um and I think a, a lot of our clients would be interested in, to, know, to know what you do because people in your position, you know, even though you might not be in front of the client, um, you're a huge resource to us and other advisors. And really the job that you have is really helpful for all of us when we're managing client portfolios. But how how would you describe your job, what your role is for Heinz and, you know, what, what a day in the life of Jeff Walters looks like? Yeah. So, well, every day is different. That's that's what keeps me excited about the job here, right? So I'm in charge of raising capital for Heinz Real Estate Investments in six states on the West Coast. And what that entails is me meeting with financial advisors, investment firms, financial planners, uh, some like your firm, Sustainable, but obviously none as good as your firm. And <laughs> um, I, I travel around the West Coast, educate them about what's happening in the world of real estate, the macro backdrop and, and the asset class, educate them about our company's investments, how they might fit, who they're a good fit for in their practice. And then uh, we, we also do a lot of educational type events for CPAs, attorneys, the, the advisors, clients on some of the more advanced tax strategies in real estate too. That's awesome. And I know like from our standpoint, it's great because there's so many different investments out there. And so having having someone in your role is really helpful that we can pick up the phone and call or you know email whatever and say hey what what's going on and you know help us figure out how to position certain things in client portfolios so it's a it's a really important role in 
in what we do. And I know that, um, you know, again, you're not in front of clients a lot. So a lot of clients out there might not even know that there's people like yourself helping us out on a daily basis. So, yeah. And there's, we're the, we're the, we're the silent, silent partner. You know? Yeah. I, I met someone on the golf course when I was in college and you and I both share that, that hobby, Todd. And he said, if you want to do public speaking, travel the country, help investors make money and obviously be able to make money for yourself and go golfing every once in a while. You should call me when you graduate. <laughs> and uh, that, that's actually how I got in the industry. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. I have to say no to that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's nice too, because, you know, we're at Sustainable, we're really invested in, I mean, time, energy, focus on on the stock and bond market too. And, and the housing market's really tied to that in a lot of ways, but it's also different. In, in a lot of ways too. And so it is nice to have resources that we can reach out to and be like, hey, what are you seeing on, on your side of um, the economy too? Yeah. Well, let, let's jump in and talk about real estate. So so Jeff, how would, how would you describe right now just kind of the state of the real estate market, uh, where things are at? Um, I think a lot of our clients would like to know. And it's interesting because I think when most of our clients ask about the real estate market, you know, they're thinking about, you know, their home or just kind of the local area. Um, but I guess, you know, Heinz, like you said, being being the largest privately owned real estate investment firm in the world, you, you guys are very global in what you do, I assume. Is that right, Jeff? Yeah, we have offices in 395 markets, 395 cities around the world today. And we are a big believer. Real, real estate's a very local business. You need to have someone living and working in, let's say, the Vancouver market if they're going to be the best real estate investor in Vancouver. And so it's taken us six decades plus to set up all these offices globally, but we think it gives us a distinct advantage as far as sourcing better deals, having relationships with the local players in the market, and understanding the dynamics that are specific to each market out there. That's incredible. So where where are things at around the world right now? I mean, I guess, how would you just describe the state of the real estate market in, in, the, in the U.S., let's say, overall? Well, it was getting kind of boring over the last decade. Everything was just going up every year. Yeah, yeah. And so it's much more interesting now, right? Um, so one of the big shifts that that we think we're seeing is going from what we call an allocator's market to an operator's market, okay? So in the last decade, all you really needed to do was allocate to real estate. Kind of didn't matter which sector, kind of didn't matter which location or which building. The more you bought and the more leverage you used, the easier it was for you to make money and the more money you made. And that's not how investing should work. <laughs> Earnings should matter. The quality of the company right, should matter. The quality of the building should matter. And we're, we're going more back to that right now. So e- each individual city might be different. Submarkets within cities might be different. The sector that you use, and we'll talk about different real estate sectors today, is carry your returns. And the companies that can actually roll up their sleeves and get their hands dirty and improve the properties on the local level, which we call the operators, we think will have a very distinct advantage over the next decade because they will be able to force value creation in their buildings versus relying on the broad market to just continue to appreciate what we call in our industry cap rates compress to get those investments res- investment results for you. So what, what has caused the shift from being an allocator's market to, as you said, a uh, an operator's market where you need to find the good businesses rather than just kind of investing in wholesale or real estate, you know, broadly. The short answer to that is the cost of capital has increased. In other words, interest rates started to increase 
ended the, at least for the time being, the cheap money era that we were in. And it, it, it's putting a premium on those with capital, those with the proper financing, and um, those with business plans on, again, how to increase the value of buildings versus just buy something and hope it, hope it grows to the sky. Yeah. Jeff, what what would you say? I, I was trying to do some research before the the episode today, and what what's the best way would you say for you know a client or just someone out there who's interested in, in real estate again outside their local area to track how things are doing? I mean, I know there's huge differences right now between residential and commercial. I'd love to get into just kind of the differences in what you're seeing in those markets. But what would you say is the best way for people to, to track this and, and know how things are going? I guess maybe a question back is why do they want to track it? Yeah. Right. I mean, are, are they trying to be investors themselves um, or are they just kind of curious just because they want to know? I mean, that, I'm hoping that the investors who have great financial advisors like yourself would rely on, on you for that versus having to stress about it on their own. Right, right. I think a lot of people, uh, they just want to know. I mean, again, I, I find when we work with clients, it's always really interesting how people are just really, they're interested in real estate. Real estate's a really interesting category. Um, I think that people, they they just kind of want to know. And then, you know, like we do a quarterly call for all of our clients. And what's interesting is even though we're talking about portfolios and a lot of what we're managing is their investment portfolios, we get a ton of questions on real estate. Well, Hey, what's real estate doing? You know? And, and I think some people, it is from an investment perspective. Um, I, we're going to get into in a minute here talking about maybe some different ways to invest in real estate. Um, cause that's obviously what, what Jeff's company does, but, you know, before we get into that, if if you had someone who just kind of wanted to know, I mean, so an example is this: I I pulled up and I looked at the there's a S and P REIT index uh, that tracks REITs in the U.S. Right, and you know that index through yesterday, July twenty fifth, two thousand three, uh, was up actually on the year about four point six five percent. And we do in our quarterly client webinar that we do, um, you know the the information that we present has information on the global real estate index. And, you know, I know like global real estate was down slightly through the, through the end of the quarter, but yeah. I mean, is, is that a good way for people if they're just kind of interested overall and in like, you know, what in the world's going on with real estate? Is that a good index for them to, to follow? Kind of going back to what you said, because my answer is going to be no, I think it's a horrible index for them to follow. Okay. That's um, great. Yeah, yeah. That's good info. But uh, yeah, everybody's got, you know, the story of the guy they know that owns 10 rental properties and doesn't have to work anymore. And, you know, I think people are curious. There's just human nature is fear and greed, right? Yeah. Very few yeah. people know about, you know, the guy who got rich by owning money markets and CDs, right? Right. right. Um, but we all got those friends that made a lot of money in real estate, which is why I think people are curious. Um, what you mentioned is a good topic is how to track real estate. What most people would do is look up the Vanguard REIT ETF. Okay. And see see how how is this investment doing? And I'll give you a good example. Um, last year the Vanguard Reed ETF was down twenty six percent. Okay. Did all did all real estate last year go down by twenty six percent? Nope. Nope. Right. And this year it's up four percent. Is real estate really going up this year? Or probably actually going down this year. And so publicly traded REITs have two components that really contribute to their returns. One is 
What's the fundamentals of the actual real estate doing? And second, what are the fundamentals of the stock market that they're trading on doing? And if you look at the correlation between a publicly traded REIT, like the Vanguard REIT ETF and the stock market, you're talking 0.8, 0.9, really high correlation. In other words, what the stock market is doing almost has more bearing on how publicly traded REITs do than real estate itself, especially in the short term. Yeah, okay. So what, what you'd want to look at is more of private real estate and how actually appraised value real estate is performing. And that's actually harder to find. There's yeah. not a ton of great measures for that. It's not as commoditized as, hey, I know this mutual fund. I can pull it up in Morningstar and see a star rating, which is actually one of the reasons why I personally got out of the mutual fund industry you know, 10 plus years ago and got into the real estate industry. I just felt like I could add more value through um, my knowledge and my study of the industry that, to help investors. So if you were to try to find the best benchmark, it would probably be the NACREF index which stands for the National Council for Real Estate Investment Fiduciaries. Don't try to say that 10 times fast. <laughs> but ncreif.org, uh, and um, they catalog the results, in particular in the United States, for your four major food groups of real estate, which is your office, your industrial, your retail, and your multifamily or like living, which is like apartments, right? And then they do it based off various geographies. So you can see, okay, how did apartments do on the West Coast in the fourth quarter of 1987, bam, they have it there, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So that, that's probably a better benchmark for someone to look at. Okay. Yeah, I think that that distinguish you made between private and public is is really important because we talk a lot about, um, you know, not getting caught up in, in the hype <laughs> of what's going on in the news and what you're hearing. And I, I imagine that having a publicly traded REIT that's you know, you can trade on the on a daily basis almost is going to be probably fluctuating a lot more than a privately one where it's like, well, if you want to get this evaluated, you need to get an appraiser, you need to kind of go through a lot of these hoops. It's not going to be as subject to, uh, you know, emotion of being like, oh, my gosh, I'm going to sell a property in a day and then buy it yeah. buy the, the next day. You can't really do that with privately held. Yeah. Yeah. Nick, 100 percent correct. I mean, would you value your your home, would you get an appraisal on your home, you know, every second of every day just to see what it's worth? But that's no. what that's what the traded REITs are trying to do. So if you look at what we call standard deviation, which is the measure of the volatility of the returns of an investment, the Vanguard REIT ETF has a standard deviation about seven times more volatile than our REIT that we have at Heinz. Wow. Um, now, the long-term returns might be not too dissimilar, but your path to achieve those returns is going to be a bunch more choppy and you're probably going to lose a little bit more sleep if you go with the publicly traded REIT path. Yeah. So Jeff, what, uh, what is a REIT? Maybe we could back up a second and just describe for people who don't know. So REIT stands for real estate investment trust. Just think of it like a mutual fund, but with buildings versus stocks. Okay. So a, a REIT allows uh, a, a professional firm in this case, maybe you'd choose hopefully our, our firm at Heinz to manage a pool of real estate on behalf of the investors. And so we're gonna we're gonna choose the buildings, go through the negotiation process of buying them, leasing them, managing them, selling them. And then you would get the returns and income that those buildings provide, just like you would get the returns and income that a, a pool of stocks would provide in a mutual fund. Okay. So if an investor owns a REIT, do they actually own own those buildings? Do they own like take physical ownership or how does that work yeah yes and no so they own the shares of the company of the entity the REIT that owns the buildings okay okay 
And that's then, as close as, as close you're going to get to owning rental properties, essentially, without having to do the work yourself. Yeah, yeah. So how, um, what, what types of properties are these are REITs investing in? And, and I guess we can speak specifically to the to the company that you work for, Heinz. What, uh, yeah. what kind of buildings different, are in there? Yeah, yeah. Different different REITs have different focuses. Uh, you, you see REITs that focus just on cell towers, on healthcare properties, just on office buildings which might be challenged as we'll talk about in a minute. Um, Apartments, pretty much anything you could think of, there's probably a a REIT designed for that. Um, Now, our take is at at Heinz is when we look at most investor portfolios, let's talk about individual investors, we find that they might own one or two REITs at most in their portfolio. And so we thought to help investors, instead of having very sector-specific REITs, which they would have more risk, and concentration, uh, why not come out with a very diversified REIT? So our REIT in particular is really designed to be an investor's core real estate holding. And we're going to own all your major sectors of real estate within one fund. And we'll, we'll own those buildings, both US and internationally. So if you wanted a, a one-stop shop, if you will, um, this is this is your design. Now, the drawback of this design is Hey, if I pick the hottest sector in real estate over the last seven, eight years, which is U.S. industrial, and I bought a U.S. industrial REIT, I'm going to have better returns than this fund at Heinz. But if industrial goes out of favor, then the opposite is going to be true. So if you're looking for singles and doubles, I would look at diversified REITs. If you're looking to hit that home run, maybe you want to go with more of a sector-specific product. So really pretty similar to investing in the stock market. You could buy a a, a mutual fund that invests just in healthcare technology, or you can buy more of a, a, a broadly diversified, say, S&P 500 index type thing that, that is diversified across the market. 100%. I like to say concentration helps you create wealth. Diversification helps you protect. That's a great way to think about it. So, Jeff, um, what are, are there REITs that invest a lot in residential or are most of these commercial based? There are some that invest in residential homes. In fact, that's somewhat of a controversial topic. You know, should some of these big private equity firms and investment firms be buying all these single-family residential homes, hurting the average American's ability to to purchase a home and achieve their dreams? Very controversial. Um, There are some REITs that do that. Um, At at Heinz, we have not gone down that path, and we focused on real estate that has income-producing potential through tenants. Um, so those are primarily your four major food groups, office, industrial, retail, and living again. Okay. okay. We, we have been increasing some of the unique sectors like self-storage, data centers, call centers, media, mixed use. So there's some other unique areas we've also started to uh, layer on to our fund. Okay. I think that's kind of a cool thing to know about Heinz too, because, uh, you know, as uh as a younger person, a lot of my friends are trying to get into the housing market and there's such fierce competition out there that it's like, there's so many people that are just getting purchased or priced out of being able to buy a house. And then you see in the news, some of these huge banks are putting up billions of dollars to buy single home families. And it's like, how can you be in favor of having a, a strong American economy, bolstering the middle class and yet taking away the thing that we say is like almost fundamental to, uh, you know, the American dream. So to hear that you guys, you know, are investing in real estate, you're doing it well if you're the largest and you're not taking away that big piece of opportunity for people. I think it's pretty cool. Yeah. So 
Re- a REIT could be a really good investment then for for somebody who say wanted to have real estate but maybe didn't want to do the work of having to go buy a bunch of rentals or in this case um I would imagine if you're someone who wants to invest in real estate it could be even just frankly impossible or a lot harder to get into the commercial space um so a REIT could be a good way to to do that is that is that kind of the best way to position that would you say Jeff uh, absolutely. Uh, I talk about the three T's all the time, tenants, toilets, and trash. You know, this, some folks don't mind it. Other folks would rather, you know, binge a show and not have to to deal with that. Right. Yeah. And then if you can't afford, you know, a $10 million commercial property in your local market, um, can you afford five of them in different markets across the country? So you're diversified. Again, it goes back to, do I want to be concentrated versus do I want to be more passive and diversified? And so it, it, it might serve a different niche. You, you might have a building that you love and you own that and you love have the pride in owning your own building. But then for the rest of the real estate in your portfolio, maybe you have a REIT yeah. to cover your other bases. Okay. So Jeff, one, one area of the of the commercial space we really wanted to get into today was, was office space. Because I, I think when a lot of people think about commercial real estate, they think office. And, and obviously, there's been a lot of changes in the trends of working from home. Um, I know a lot of companies are kind of asking people to come back to the office. But, but I'd love to just to dive into this a little bit more. What are your thoughts on, on just the office space section of the re- commercial real estate market? Yeah, that, that's the million-dollar question today, Todd, is how is that going to play out? You, you look at all these articles, and I've seen, I, I feel like a hundred of them. In fact, so many, I feel like they're AI-generated now. <laughs> commercial commercial real estate's the next shoe to drop, Jeff. Yeah, um, yeah. And then you read the article, and what do they talk about? They just talk about office space. They might have an antidote about a San Francisco hotel or something like that in there, but basically, they're just talking about office. So most of commercial real estate fundamentally is actually fairly healthy right now. Industrial, highly occupied, people are shopping online, companies are showing up their supply chains, apartments, again, performing fairly well right now, Uh, homes are expensive, mortgage rates are high, people need a place to live, Uh, outdoor lifestyle centers, retail, you know, shopping, people are looking for experiences to get out of the house. Those have performed quite well, but office is that one exception. But a lot of people use office and commercial real estate synonymously and office actually only makes up 15% of all commercial real estate in the United States. Hmm. So to say commercial real estate is all going to do poorly just because office is doing poorly wouldn't be a true statement in my opinion. Okay. Yeah. But let's let's delve into the office. And we all know it's been negatively impacted because of the work from home. Um, pre-pandemic, we're about 4% work from home. Height of the pandemic, about 35% work from home. We're back down to the low teens uh, already and falling. And and so it's probably not going to ever go back to the four percent because there's certain jobs and functions that may be better served not having to go to an office and save the company money. But imagine two basketball teams. Let's say they're equally talented, okay? And one team gets to practice together every day. The other team has to practice separately at home. Then they have a seven game series. Who's more likely to win? And I think some company management are, are starting to realize that. And and again, asking folks to come back to the office. So. Broadly, yes, we think office is going to be negatively impacted, especially your class B assets, your assets that don't have some of the latest and greatest amenities. Some of those assets, if they're surrounded by crime and homelessness, that's kind of tough too. I mean, if you're a company, do you want to make a long-term financial commitment to those buildings? And so again, it's going to go to the quality building, location of the building as it should, and there's going to be winners and losers right now. So um, 
again, make sure that the real estate investment firm that that you're using uh, understands those differences. You, you want to make sure, if you can, that if they're buying office, they're doing it now, and they, they didn't have a bunch of office before COVID because they're probably going to be down in value if they bought it before COVID. So there's definitely a line in the sand there. But this could potentially be a generational buying opportunity for if you buy the right office building at the right price right now. So I, I wouldn't rule out an asset class just because there's blood on the streets. Um, that's typically the time to to be an intelligent buyer there. Yeah. Is if somebody wanted to take advantage of what you're saying might be like a generational moment of office mm-hmm. space, is that getting into like a REIT like yourself or, or Heinz? Uh, or is that like purchasing um, office space? I mean, I imagine you'd have to be probably an accredited mm-hmm. investor, have a lot of capital to do that. Yeah, it, it could be either. Now, our fund, uh, our REIT has about 17% office. So we're kind of like industry average. But I will say all of the office buildings in our fund have been purchased post-COVID with the exception of one building wow. in, the, in the office sector. So call it, you know, lucky or skill. Uh, I'll take either one. Yeah. Um, yeah, we we haven't we haven't we haven't been bitten by that one um, through this environment. I think there's a there's two really really key points that you made there, Jeff. Which is you know one, it it could be a really good opportunity, especially given the fact you know your basketball example is a great one where where we are seeing this trend. I I think more and more I'm hearing of companies kind of realizing, hey having the team back all in one place is the best place to go. I know in our office, that's what we've done. I've, I talked to a lot of other financial advisors where everybody's still working from home, but I know we've just seen a lot better things happening now that everybody's back here in the office. Um, and the second thing is the fact that only 15% of commercial real estate is office. And like you said, I think when a lot of people think commercial real estate, they just think office, but some of these other areas have not been hit the same. And again, I I don't even, when I think of that, I don't think of things like warehouses and cell phone towers and all the other things that you mentioned. Um, there's a lot of good things happening in those areas that have not been impacted the same way as, as office space. So in some ways they've benefited actually. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. It seems like the warehouse space has been booming, at least here in the Northwest. It's like there, if there's, uncultivated land a couple months later there's a huge warehouse or five that are going in that yeah. in that space is that a trend across the country is, is warehouse booming or is that just maybe just here not only a trend across the country it's a trend across the world yeah i mean u.s industrial has actually been the hottest sector in commercial real estate number one performing in all of commercial real estate u.s industrial last seven years in a row wow. that probably won't won't continue forever as we know nothing grows to the sky um and yeah, prices may have got a little bit over their ski tips there. People were buying these buildings for you know the fall of twenty one at mid threes yields, and that the price needs to be over five today. Um, so we actually stopped buying when the yields in those properties got under five. We have in our pipeline a deal where the yield is about six percent. Um, so we're finally open to buying it again. We love the sector. We just didn't like the pricing for a while. Yeah. yeah. So Jeff, I know one of one of the other reasons that people like to invest in real estate is because of the tax advantages that come with it. Um, and I know that there's some specific tax advantages that REITs have as well. Um, could you could you discuss those? Like what what are some of the tax advantages? And I know that um, there's some exchange opportunities as well that that investors might be able to get when investing in REITs. Gosh. I don't think a lot of people are happy with eight, nine percent returns on their portfolio in general. I'm getting you that just to my tax equivalent income right now without any real estate appreciation. 
So my lame pitch has been get eight while you wait. If I can get eight or more in an income tax equivalent and then have some upside in the future, I feel good about that entry point, right? Um, so yeah, there's definite, definite tax advantages, but one of the more interesting topics lately has been what are called 1031 and 721 exchanges that you mentioned, Todd. So we, we are definitely kind of at this uh, time frame where the baby boomers have hit their stride. They're, they're in retirement. Maybe they've owned a, a rental property or a, you know, a short-term rental, or they have a little local strip mall or whatever. They own real estate outside their residence, and it's appreciated over time. What do they do with that? Do they continue to deal with the headaches? Do they do they hold the building till they die so they can get the step up in basis? Um, and that is a that is a path they could go down. But again, you are concentrated. You have to deal with the day to day. Dying with a, a, an illiquid asset might be tough if you have three kids and they each want to do something different with it. It's not the most liquid investment. If you wanted to do something fun like buy a boat, it's hard to sell one eighth of a building, right? Um, so the other option is they could just sell, but then they have to pay all the tax, right? It's a, it's a pretty big tax hit. So the path three or door number three would be using some type of tax deferred or tax free exchange strategy. Okay. So a 1031 exchange strategy allows you to sell a building in exchange to another building without having to pay tax. You're going to have to follow a certain set of rules that Todd and the team could walk you through. Um, but that that is a very popular strategy. The 1031 section has been the tax code for over 100 years. Now, the downside of it personally is if I sold a building and I got another local building, did I really solve any of my problems? No, I kind of just traded the problems of one property for the problems of another property, right? Yeah. So then there's a, a set of products called DSTs, which stands for Delaware Statutory Trust. And it's a very complex sounding vehicle for a very simple concept. Basically allows for fractionalized ownership of a property that's professionally managed for you. So we'd sell your building and you exchange the value, let's say you have $2 million from a local property that you sold into a $200 million, you know, class A apartment community. And you'd own just a $2 million portion of that community along with, let's say, a hundred other investors that each owned a piece of that, right? And then you have a professional firm, let's say Heinz or someone else that manages that for you. So these DST investments are really popular because they get you out of the day-to-day management of a property, maybe increase the quality of the building that you own. But most DSTs are also highly concentrated and are highly illiquid. And you have to continue to flip these deals every six, eight, 10 years until you die to maintain that tax deferral. So there's some drawbacks with the DSTs. And then the next option was called a 721 exchange. And this is the latest and greatest, really gaining in a lot of popularity. Essentially allows you to do a tax-free exchange out of your building into a REIT. Hmm. So if, if you would trade your building for shares of our REIT, now what have we done for you? We've solved your issue of concentration risk because now you have hundreds of buildings. We've solved your issue of headaches because now Heinz or whatever the REIT company you've chosen is managing the, all those buildings for you. You solve the issue of estate planning because kids would inherit shares of a REIT which those shares can be easily split up and each child can make different decisions with the shares that they inherit. So much simpler from an estate planning standpoint. Uh, Liquidity is there because a lot of REITs are going to offer some amount of liquidity. Our REIT offers monthly liquidity. So if you wanted to take some money out in the future, you'd have the potential to do that. And then finally, when you complete a proper 721 exchange and you can take money out of the REIT, money comes out what's called 
FIFO or first in, first out, or cost basis first. So if I had a $3 million building that I owned with $1 million of principal value or cost basis into it, why would I sell that and pay all the tax on all those gains unless I needed all that money right now, which I probably don't, when instead I could exchange it once I've completed the 721 exchange and gone through that uh, hold period, I could take out that $1 million of cost basis tax-free, strip that out, and just leave the gains parked in the REIT to earn passive income on as long as I wanted to, and even until I died and got a step up on it. So it maintains all your tax benefits, but now you've got liquidity, no headaches, diversification, tax strategy planning, estate strategy planning. So um, now 721 exchanges can be done either directly to a REIT through a one-step process if the REIT actually wants to buy your property outright, or through a two-step process where you go first into a separate building for a couple of years that the REIT wants to purchase down the road. And then the REIT buys that building after a minimum of a two-year hold, and then you're put into the REIT after two years. So depending on the building you own, it's going to dictate which path you go down for a 721 exchange. But just wanted to get that news out there. Most folks are not familiar with the 721 or, or how it works. And Todd and the team there could could walk you through some of the advanced strategies there if that's a situation for you. So yeah. Jeff, are these exchanges available to people that maybe have a rental home or is this specific to commercial investors? That's a great question. Some people uh, have understood the 1031 path to be what's called a like-kind exchange. So they have the impression that if they sell an office building, they have to get an office building. Or if they have a single-family rental, they have to get a single-family rental. That is not true. Any income-producing real estate, any even piece of raw land, it could even include mineral rights. All of those would qualify for one of these exchanges. The only thing that's not going to qualify is a residence that you live in. Okay. And if you have a second home that you may want to exchange down the road, why don't you why don't you rent it out for two years? get income from it for two years and then you could exchange it. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So like if, if somebody was saying like, I'm living in my house and I know I want to move, but I don't want to take the tax hits of this primary that I'm in, you could move rent your primary out for two years and then classify that as a, as an investment property. And then that would be eligible for the exchange. And then you're deferring all the, the capital gains on your primary, which you couldn't do if you just want to do it like in one switch. Yeah, technically, yes, Nick, but I mean, there's already an exclusion for your primary residence anyways from a tax standpoint. So we see this typically used more with someone's secondary home or vacation home if Mm. if they wanted to rent it out for a couple of years before exchanging it. Yeah. One thing I've seen that's kind of really neat about them is that you mentioned the fractionalization. It is from a tax standpoint, what's really nice too is that once that uh, the you own those shares, you really get to control when you want to realize those capital gains um, and those taxes. So from a tax planning standpoint, if you're like, I don't want to take one big hit, like you mentioned, it's like, well, now we've got shares of, I don't know what the Heinz are trading, but let's just say like $10. You can break up your tax into a lot of little pieces and really control when and how much you want to realize in any given year. Really good point. So go back to my example, $3 million property that you, you could sell for with a million of basis. So do the exchange, strip out the million dollars of basis, tax-free. Now you're left with the $2 million of gains, which normally would be all taxable. But then, yeah, you just take a little bit at a time. Or you can use what I call matching. What if you had a bad year in the market like last year with 50000 of capital losses? Mm-hmm. We'll just sell $50,000 out of the REIT in that year. And now you've got an income out that would normally be taxable, but it's not because it's offset by those losses. 
You could even do more advanced planning and, and donate the gains to a charitable trust and design that charitable trust to provide ongoing income like you would have gotten from the REIT anyways, but also get a large upfront tax deduction too. So th- there's a lot of stuff, a lot of different paths we can go down if you don't appreciate the real estate. Wow. This has been really insightful. So it sounds like REITs you know, could be a really good investment for, for people who want to have exposure to, to real estate in their portfolio, but maybe not have some of the headaches or some of the limitations that come with buying a like a, a rental home or a or a com- piece of commercial property on their own. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And one thing I'll, I'll iterate too, and we, we try and express this a lot on the podcast, is that there's a lot of nuance with a lot of these things. And, and if you're listening and tracking along, you're probably like, there's some words here I don't quite understand. I didn't catch all of it. Uh, and that's okay. And that's why Todd and I are here in, in professional advisors. And um, so if this sounds like something you're like, yeah, I'd be interested in that. Uh, work with your professional advisor and and begin that process, at least ask some questions. Um, because how this applies to any portfolio or any given person is going to be different from one person to the next. Uh, and that's our job is to help say, how does this fit in with everything else? It's, you want it to be a part of a portfolio um, that requires a lot of consideration. Um, so we hope you're, you're enjoying listening about this, but also know that like it's it's complex and we're not making a blanket statement. You should do this, but it's there's a lot of neat things about it. So Jeff, you, you made a comment earlier about when we were talking about the difference between position traded REITs um, and and non traded REITs. And what's interesting is if I go back and look at that that S and P index that tracks REITs in the U.S., that index would suggest that the real estate market year to date is actually going up. But you made a comment about the fact that in actuality, the the real estate market realistically is probably going down this year. So I'd love to just get your thoughts on just kind of where things stand with the real estate market from your perspective. So if we kind of go away from looking at these REITs and what, you know, maybe some of these indexes are saying, you know, you're, you've got boots on the ground. I mean, like you said, you have 300 and something offices around the world. So um, I guess, how would you characterize the state of the real estate market right now? Um, are things going up? Are they still coming down? Um, where do you see things? The easy answer is depends on the building and depends on the market. It just kind of like the stock market. It's what is, it's it's a market of stocks, not a stock market, as some people like to say. Yeah, so, I mean, yeah. obviously this year, NVIDIA, big winner. But if you didn't own some of the AI stuff, maybe your portfolio hasn't performed as well. Uh, so individual buildings do matter. And they matter more than five years ago when everything was just going up. Um, broadly, though, if you are asking me to make that decision, uh, I would say real est- commercial real estate broadly is probably contracting in price a bit right now. Okay. Um, I think I think prices needed needed to come down a bit because you needed to get the, the building yields or cap rates up closer to where the borrowing costs are. Right? Is someone really going to want to own a warehouse at a three percent yield? If they have to have a six percent mortgage, if that's the case, they really have to trust in a lot of rent growth to make those numbers pencil. Right? Not to say it couldn't happen. Um, so I think we're seeing uh, cap rates that were you know threes and fours for apartments and and industrial now closer to the fives, right? Maybe even six, but probably in the five range for a lot of the quality stuff out there. So that means prices had to had to contract a bit. So our projection at the beginning of this at the firm was 
probably about a five to 10% correction for your good performing assets, maybe 10 to 20 for your poor performing assets. And I think that's reasonable. I think some prices were a little bit over their ski tips. We're not talking about some type of crushing ultra meltdown, right? Mm -hmm. Now, maybe some office buildings are an exception to that. But if you look at, for example, the the value of our REIT, the the principal value, the net asset value is down about 7.3% from last summer. Uh, That was our peak. If you look at the last four downturns in commercial real estate, in our country, we've averaged a 7.9% price decline. And that like NACREF index I mentioned earlier, right? So um, maybe we have a little bit more to go based off what's happening, based off the information we have right now. Um, maybe things are going to be worse than average. It's hard to say with 100% certainty, but we've seen a, a reasonable correction so far. Maybe it's got a little bit of a ways to go. Maybe we're, again, another six to 12 months out, but it's hard to call the bottom of any market, Todd. And yeah. you, you know that, and I know that we've been in this for a long time. So uh, again, if, if you can invest in assets that you feel good about the long-term quality and you are getting them at a cheaper price than you would have a year or two ago and you're getting more income, it's not that bad of an entry point. Yeah, yeah. Jeff, do you think, do interest rates have as much impact on commercial real estate as residential? Wow, that's a tough one. Um, interest rates don't historically have as much impact on, on real estate in general, it, like in comparison to bonds. Because if rates go up, we all know the value of bonds do what? They go down, right? Um, but bonds don't have the ability to grow their coupon, and real estate does. So in general, if we're having a rising interest rate environment. There's a reason why the Fed is raising rates. They're not just trying to be mean for fun, right? <laughs> um, usually the Fed is raising rates because the economy's hot or we're getting inflation or both, right? And let's say right now it's just inflation, the economy's not growing much. We get that. So if you own an, an apartment complex and we're getting a bunch of inflation, what are you going to do with your rents? Increase them. Raise the rents. And when you, ha- when you happen to raise the rents, what happens typically to the value of your building? It goes up goes up because part of the value of the building is the, the value of those discounted cash flows, right? Yeah. So historically, in a rising rate environment, you generally see real estate increasing rents, and that helps to offset the, the hurt part of your, their debt costing more, right? Mm. So if you look at the data, and again, I'm not talking about the headlines you read in the Wall Street Journal, but the actual data, private real estate going back about 40 years, they've done slightly better in periods of rising rates than periods of falling rates which is contrary to what most people would think. This environment's a little bit different because of the magnitude and the velocity of the rate increases that we've seen. It's been more of a shock to the system. We're digesting that right now. Yeah, that's that's really insightful. Yeah, um, yeah I really appreciate that answer, Jeff. Well, Jeff, thanks so much for being on our podcast today. This has been great. Um, I'm, I'm sure people listen and learned a lot. I mean, th- this is, you know, investing is our world and it's what we do. And I, and I know I learned a ton just from listening to you today. So I, I really appreciate you being here. Yeah. Happy to do it. Let's do it again sometime, guys. The opinions expressed in this podcast are for general informational purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or specific security. It is only intended to provide education about the financial industry. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult your financial advisor prior to investing. Any past performance discussed during this program is no guarantee of future results. Any indices referenced for comparison are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. 
As always, please remember investing involves risk and possible loss of principal capital. Please seek advice from a licensed professional. Momentous Wealth Management Inc. is a registered investment advisor. Advisory services are only offered to clients or prospective clients where Momentous Wealth Management Inc. and its representatives are properly licensed or exempt from licensure. No advice may be rendered by Momentous Wealth Management Inc. unless a client service agreement is in place.